Welcome to episode 592 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Right here, team, welcome along to episode 592 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Oz. How you going, mate? Pretty good. John's looking all snazzy today, team. He's, he's obviously, I always know John based on what he's dressed on. Most days it's training. Yes. Sometimes he comes casual, which means he's probably got a big, big work day that day, mm-hmm. so he doesn't train, and then sometimes he comes a bit snazzy, and today he's a bit snazzy, which means he's probably trying to get money from someone. Yes, and also... It's not good because it probably means it's going to cut into any training time today. So I might be taking a zero. So I'm not particularly happy about that. Happy, happy when I'm getting money. Sad when I'm not training. As long as you get the money. Mm. Show me the money, honey. Show me the money. I am Talk is proudly brought to you by Athlinks.com. Social networking for endurance athletes. Extreme. Your lactic buffer. And our patrons. Let's name a few, Jumbo. Scott the bouncer, Stephen. Tynan the barbarian, Nazal Nah. What's Nowonski? Uh, Nowonski, he does a podcast. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah, they interviewed me. They had a great issue. It was a great show. Um, I have to find the name of the podcast. I will do that because I can't remember what it was off by heart. But you say the next one and I'll Rebecca try to find the name. Rebecca Bullseye Spears. And John, we've also got happening on this week's show. We've got some news. We've got a discussion of the week. We've got a statistic. It's a big show. High five. And we've got an interview, John. With Gillian uh, Aspen, who we spoke to earlier in the year around uh, depression. She was doing a research project into that. And we're going to come back with the results and some sort of feedback and areas where it might help you or people that you know in terms of uh, getting their mental game sorted out. Good work. I'm just trying to find Todd. Podcast. This week's news. This week's we had news. A big race at the Riding weekend. High podcast, John. The Riding High podcast. Here we go. Okay. This week's news, John. Uh, we had Arizona happen over the weekend, and not really surprising, but the male race was dominated. Yeah. Well, I want to go to females first, Bevan, this week. Thanks well, very much. Did last week as well. Good. Well, we're going to give the females some love. Mm-hmm. It was last week. I wasn't quite sure if Hallie Fredrickson was racing or not, uh, and she did rock up, and unsurprisingly, she was right up there in the swim, in the mix on the bike and uh, didn't quite pull it off on the run but still you can't it's 8.55 on debut for second place which is not too shabby but you did get outrun by Kaiser Sali from Finland who took it out with a 56 minute swim 4.46 on the bike so she had to ride up to sort of the front group and then ran a 3.04.39 8.51.54 taking home $15,000 Is this a tier US. 2 race is it? Uh, no, well, yeah, it's not a championship race. 15,000 is more than normal, isn't it? Uh, well, they, they do vary a little bit. Yeah. But um, it's, yeah, but it's certainly not a championship race. So in third place with a new bike course record with a 4.38, which is smoking fast. You compare that to um, Hallie Fredrickson was 4.50 and a 4.46 for Kaiser Sali was Jen Armt from Canada, or no, Jen Annett from Canada, and she came home as well under nine hours for third in 8.59. Michelle Vesterby was uh, leading earlier on in the race. She managed fourth, and Sarah Pampiano was uh, in fifth place in 9.09. So very good, strong field. Last week we were sort of saying that uh, Heather Jackson was on the start list and Angela Neath, so I didn't hear if they did take any part in the race, but they weren't in the results. Uh, so... Yeah, good solid racing girls, and 
I don't want Hallie Fredrickson, you know, she could be an absolute weapon. Um, so I'm a little bit surprised she didn't run faster. But again, when you go eight, so, eight so, five, so where's she at right now? Well, she's a she's she's been the fastest half iron distance athlete of all time. Uh, yep. She's had, you know, she's a former short course athlete, done extremely well at seventy point three. So um, impressive, and maybe she's still learning, a f- learning, you know, learning the trade a little bit. But uh, she could be a real weapon come Kona time if she's in peak performance and if she can transfer her half iron distance um, performances across to Ironman. So, Kaiser Sali, you know, she's the the real deal now. She's got some good Kona performances. Plenty of winning races and uh, yeah, impressive. Eight fifty one. Well, what's really interesting, what, we'll talk about this a little bit more soon. But these guys now have a great year in front of them. They've got mm-hmm. you know all the year to plan peaking for Kona without having to worry about the points. You know, at least for Kaiser, you know, like it really makes such a big difference to your year, doesn't it? Absolutely. And um, Lionel Sand on the guys' side of things, uh, you had Lionel Sanders take it out. So probably not that big a surprise, but he went out there as per usual and crushed it on the bike with a 4.12. Uh, only one other person went under 4.20 with most of the contenders sort of in the mid 4.20s. Um, but probably the one thing to note is he's got a little green number there on his uh, swim time on Torsten's dot and uh, he swam 51 minutes so he was only a couple of minutes down as opposed to sort of four or five minutes down that's a big step for him isn't it Mm. so nice work there rode 412 and then it just blows me away that he can run so fast he ran a 247 which is fast he's out running you know Brent McMahon who's one of the fastest runners of our sport look at Brent McMahon Really classic, nice looking runner, um, comes from an ITU background, but um, Lionel Sanders just muscled his way through, so he went 7.54.10, uh, as opposed to Brett McMahon. Brett McMahon, his sub-eight-hour streak is over, He's uh, went 8.07, and then Jeremy Dukowitz from France was third in 8.15. This is probably the first time you've looked at Sanders' result and not seen a weakness. Mm. You know what I mean? Like Kona, the swim was better this year, mm-hmm. but it was still a little bit back. You know, this time you look at this, you go 51, you look at everyone else's swims, you know, middle year was a couple of minutes behind the first three swimmers, but, you know, he was kind of in between that and next. So you look at this and you go 51 for a pro, he's a pretty good swim. Bikes, rock star, runs mm. rock star. He, pff, next year's going to be pretty interesting, isn't it? It Especially is. Especially as Gomez is there. Well, if, if Gomez is there. Yeah. So we're, just, we're still waiting on Come that on, one. Come on, Gomez. Um, Come on. But yeah, he is he is a full weapon. He's still going to be isolated in the swim, and he's still going to probably come out with Keenlay and things like that going forward. He's I think it's highly unlikely he's ever going to make that front group, but he might be just. I mean, he was leading the the second group last year, and if if he's if he's only a few minutes down in Kona, then uh, he's got the goods to do what he did this year, and he was very very close this year. You know, and he needed just a little bit more, a little bit of luck, and it's Patrick Lang and not to be running a you know. Bloody course breaking record breaking day, and he would have been sweet. Okay, well, uh, John, we also had the Island House try, and uh, I only read about it this morning, but it sounds like what an amazing race! Yes, yeah, so I um, only I, I saw the the finish of the men's race. Uh, didn't really catch capture too much of the girls' race, but it really came down to the last race. So if you recall the formats, you know they did some racing on on the Friday and in the morning, and then the final race was basically uh, you know you'd start in pursuit format. So the person who was leading would uh, start off first, and however far behind him you were, then you'd take off and uh, and away you go. And whoever crossed the finish line first at the very end was the, was the overall winner. Now, 
Now, going into this event, you know, you kind of think uh, last year Richard Murray, and we saw him in the earlier earlier in the year in the Super League, just crushing it. And you had uh, Mario Mola, so you're kind of thinking those dudes are going to be crushing it on the guys' side of things. But uh, what this race really shows to me is the guys that are in shape at this time of yeah, year and yeah. the guys that are um, over the season and I've had enough because uh, I certainly would not have picked the results that we had. So Ben Canute, who clearly has really targeted this race along with the 70.3, ended up winning in a sprint finish with Terenzo Bozzoni, who was... So was it close or was he chasing him down? Um, he had to... Torrento lost some time in the swim, and then they had to chase him down. I'm not sure if they went shoulder to shoulder all the way in the run, but it came down to a sprint finish. Because it was a handicap start, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. yeah. It was an epic sprint finish. Really? A bit weird, because often you see sprint finishes, you know, say if I'm thinking of the, the great Bevan Doherty and Chris Gemmell yeah. and Rasmus Henning's sprint finish. If you ever, if you want to see the best triathlon finish ever, that's it. Well, that's the example of not going too early, isn't it? Because mm-hmm. Bevan was wisely held back, and those two went for it. Yeah. And he looks like he's got the after. It looks like he's got, just got the pedal through the middle, isn't it? Like a video game. He's just boom. It's the best ever. Yeah. And then you've had, you've had some amazing other sprint finishes as well. You well, know, with, um, Whitfield. With Whitfield, and also there was a one with Gomez and Brownlee. But you've got crowds all around them. But the difference with this race is these guys are sprint finishing, and there's like five people around them, uh, if that. And But they were going for it. They looked like they were moving it. Really? Seriously moving it. So Terenzo just got dipped out on the line. It was literally, you know. It was like point two seconds. Yeah, yeah. So it was it was extremely close. It's big money on the line. So good on Ben Canute for really targeting this race. You know, it was, was it fifty thousand dollars or something? Sixty, like? sixty thousand, and then Terenzo got forty-five. Yeah, so it was great, great money, and uh, it's good on him. He's shown at seventy point three distance. He's uh, you know was not far off winning the world title against one of the greatest athletes of all time. And from what I've heard, he's he's really trying to target going to the Olympics in the mixed team relay. So he's trying to become a, a short course weapon, like proper short course. They do a 300-meter swim, 7K oh, really? bike, because he's got no chance of winning a medal um, in the individual race. I'm sure he might be able to qualify, but in the team's race, you know, America have probably maybe not got such a good chance now that Gwen Jorgensen's not there, but they've got, they'll have two weapon women, and uh, and they've got to have two really good guys to, to back it up. So good on him for taking out the guys' race in so front of It's interesting that they have this choice now. You know, it's interesting how athletes will make these different choices now based on the Olympic, at least, you know, like to go, I'm going to be short, short, you know, specialist. I'm pretty sure you've got to do both, I think. I don't think you can, I'm not sure if you can, Bring in fresh people. Oh. I'll, I'll, I'll check that out. That's silly. They should. Uh, you can't have like two, say two or three people in if, if, uh, two or three people in the Olympic distance race, and then have two fresh people in the other race. I think there's got to be some crossover. I'm not 100. percent What would sure you prefer? Because in my mind, I wouldn't mind if they had different people in different races. Because I kind of think you want you could specialise in, couldn't you? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, Olympics is about trying to trim the numbers down rather than just have gazillions of athletes there so I understand the rationale yeah. Henry Sherman was third Aaron Royal was fourth Ryan Bailey fifth Cam Dye sixth Sebastian Keenlay seventh Richard Murray eighth Sam Appleton ninth and Rudy Von Burg in tenth place Mario Moller was only eleventh Eric Lagerstrom was twelfth and Josh Amberger was thirteenth uh, on the girls side of things Unsurprisingly, uh, Flora Duffy went out there and won in pretty convincing fashion. She ended up being a minute and 20 in front of Katie Zaveris, who was 
you know, one of the best performers on the ITU circuit this year. Uh, Holly Lawrence was in third place. Uh, Kirsten Casper, another great ITU athlete, along with um, Ashley Gentle, was in fifth. Rachel Klammer, sixth. Sarah True, seventh. Ellie Salthouse, eighth. Andrea Hewitt, ninth. And Alicia Kay, tenth. Oh, Joycey was there down at 12. Cave. And Leander Cave was there. Sarah Crowley was 14th. And Lauren Goss was 15th. What was the last time we heard Leander Cave's name? Uh, why I'm at. Yeah, very much so. You know, <laughs> we haven't seen lots of her in a long time. Yeah. Um, so it looked like good racing. Um, there was some a bit of coverage online. They did a little rap with Gwen Jorgen was and was there doing a rap. One thing I would say is they did have someone there filming with like their iPhone sort of coverage. I reckon it's best not to do that. It just looked bad, crappy. It? Uh, really? uh, but it looks like great racing. So I really will be looking forward to seeing the actual professional coverage come out um, and uh, seeing the race in a bit more detail, even though we know the results. Yeah, good stuff. Okay, we've also got the Middle East, uh, East Championship in Bahrain, and it's Oman 70.3, and it's also the Million Dollar Race. And just looking at the men's field, it's quite a big men's field here. Uh, Torrento's pro number one. Probably unlikely he'll be racing. What do you think he will? Oh, he'll be racing. Yeah, 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 definitely. Okay. Uh, but Gomez is going for a million dollars. So just saying, Gomez is probably going to be the favourite. He is, but are you probably sweating a bit? And and so we've got a potential here of a million for the girls and a million for the guys. So Gomez is not going to have it all his own way. Terenzo looks to be in sensational form. He won a 70.3, I think it was last weekend. He's raced the weekend before and shown that he's got some seriously good speed going on. So yes, I'd still say Gomez. I'd put money on him to beat anybody anywhere in the world any day when he's 100%. But, you know, if he's been slacking, he's not a top game. If you've got a million bucks, John, are you going to be slacking? Who knows? He might have been, but uh, thinking, oh, nobody's going to rock up. But going the the other one to throw in the mix here is Christian Blumenfeld is uh, is listed to be starting as well. So he's been the guy that was uh, he won the Super League, had a fantastic ITU season. He may have done a half Ironman before, I'm not sure, but I don't ever recall seeing his name in any of our results. Uh, so if you have the you know Blumenfeld and Bazzoni against Gomez, could be interesting. Still put my money on Gomez, but if he's not 100% uh, and doesn't have a good day, it could uh, could be an interesting race. The only, well, I don't know, I don't know Gomez, but if the million bucks on the line, you're picking for this race. You'd think so, but he's been winning races since March. It's one thing to be wanting to be peaking, it's another thing to be peaking. when you, he, he was winning. I think yeah, but we haven't heard much of him since the World Champs. Mm, he might have been sitting on the beach going, uh, I'm 7.3 John, he's not World sitting on the beach. Jeepers, no. creepers. Gill side of the race? Well, again, it's not. It, it, you'd think it's going to be pretty clear cut. So Daniela Reef, you know, on her day is going to crush anybody, but she's got some strong contenders here. So probably most likely Holly Lawrence is listed to start, and she has been equally as dominant as Daniela Reef when she's on her game at seventy point three. If we think back to last year, seventy point three champs, she just crushed everybody. Jocelyn McCauley, um, Annie Haug. Uh, so again. You put your money on uh, Daniel Reef, but Ange- Angela Neath is in there, so it should be a bloody good race. Yeah, hopefully. I won't go missed. I want them both to get the million bucks, but oh, of course you do. Yeah, far out. Yeah, could be some wheeling and dealing done on the run. Well, <laughs> you, you, you'd do it, wouldn't you? If you're ra- if I'm racing you, and you're going a million bucks on the line, and, and if you I was see racing me start, you, I'd be doing some serious negotiating. And, and, and you see me, start, you know, you're starting to lose it. You see me up, be of hundred k. How much would you offer? Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> okay. How much would you offer? It'd be rolling negotiations. Rolling negotiations. It's, it's, You'd start at 100k. Have you played that game Steel Ball? Have you seen the program Steel Balls? 
Don't think so. It's a basically a, a, it was a TV kind of game show in the UK where you basically the whole idea was there was so much money on the line. Let's say it was I don't know fifty thousand bucks, and if we both agreed, we got to split it. But if one of us lied, we got to keep it. Oh yeah, you've seen that. Yeah. Seen before, yeah. So the thing is, you need to offer me enough because you get nothing unless you get me to get the deal. Mm. So you might say on the camp, nah, yeah, you're screwed. You, you know, and then so you need to offer me enough that's fair. So I, I want half a mil. <laughs> it's pretty hard to negotiate at that stage of the race, but yeah, it should be fascinating. Looking forward to seeing how it pans out. But I agree, I'd be really happy to see two guys and uh, two people take home a million bucks each. Okay, we've got Ironman Cosmel coming up as well. And looking at this year's race, we've got Sebastian Keenley, so another one trying to tick that box. Michael Weiss, Ivan Rana, so pretty good field, really. Jeff Simmons. Yeah, Jeff Simmons raced last weekend, so I doubt he'll be doubling, doubling up. But uh, yeah, you know th- these races seem to be drawing good sized fields. You know we've got probably about thirty guys listed on the the start list. About twenty six uh, girls. Yeah, and you got uh, Anya Berenik, Lisa Roberts, and Sonia Tysik on the the girls side. Um, and we've also got Hallie Fredrickson listed there. I doubt she'll be doubling up two weekends in a row. Uh, but yeah, should be good times. We've got the Sufferfest, Kangaroo Island. I know. So this is a series I have not heard of before in Australia. So it seems like they've done similar to what that dude we interviewed a while ago in the States. Was it? Uh, yeah. What is it? Um, I know the one you're talking about. It's basically he's come up with a series. It looks like now there's a series in Australia. And if, if I'm off the mark here in terms of if this has been around for a while, but they've got two, four, six, eight races spread around Australia. Uh, this one's on Kangaroo Island. It's got uh, all sorts of different distances, but they have got an iron distance race. Haven't seen how many uh, athletes are participating, but I see uh, good old Pete Vabrusik's down to race. Oh, wow. And I think I saw there was uh, $2,500 for the for the winner, so worthwhile going over there. Another, It looks like a really unique part of the world, so good on you Australians anybody does that race next weekend flick us an email and tell us all about it so we can give it some love ok we've got um, Challenge just announced that it's the end of the season so they've got their pro athlete bonus of 140,000 in total and the 5 best male and female athletes now in the males race this year is actually a draw between Joe Skipper and Lucas Kramer from Germany so they got tw- uh, sorry 1,040 points each um, so they shared so they put the both combined money together so they got 21 thousand euro each uh peter hemmerick from belgium got third and then thomas steiger in fourth and ran rafael jan rafael oh, sorry yeah i said yeah i don't know uh, what did i say jan rafael was third he got five thousand so this is a good i think it's a good little initiative they've got you know twenty twenty five thousand for winning a series of races is um and you've obviously done pretty well that year as well yeah you know you've obviously made some good money on the side so uh and then the girls uh van verkel van verken took it out laura sadell got second uh sophie goes got third um heather wirtle got fourth and lucy charles was in fifth so good on, good on challenge it would be great to see iron man do something like this in terms of just not having the kpr but having some money attached to that and I do think it would make people a bit more loyal. It would give the KPR a bit more relevance than just um, accumulating points. Okay, John, just on the side note, a friend of mine put this on Facebook saying this guy looks like me. Do you think this guy looks like me? Uh, you can kind of see it, hey? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. He's, he's a bit different. Yeah, I've got much better hair. Great, great podcasting. <laughs> I was going to this week's discussion, John. That's what I was doing. I was pulling up the old Facebook to pull up this week's discussion. And we wanted to know what are the best training rides that you do 
uh, key sessions. Key so session, the key session that, that you that, do that really makes a big impact on your writing. John, you can go first. No, you go first. Oh, you go first. You go first. <laughs> My Facebook's a little bit you slow. You go first. Okay, I'll go first. And I'm gonna. We're gonna get a huge amount of comments, but good old George Rennell has got work. On my next efforts, 140% of FTP once a week. Example workout goes as follows. 20-minute warm-up, 5-minute block of 20 seconds at 140% FTP and 20 seconds recovery and repeat until completing 5 minutes. Then 4 minutes rest, repeat 7 to 5, to, sorry, 7 to 10 5-minute blocks. Very hard, very uncomfortable, but outstanding results. Increase my FTP by 20 watts. That sounds like a hard session. It does. And, and there's certainly some research out there showing that doing the, some of the short stuff is is really beneficial. It may not be necessarily in your main part of your Ironman build-up because I think the key with those type they of workouts, you. yeah, they do kill you, but you've also got to be fresh enough to do them properly. Otherwise, you just you just can't do it. So if you're doing that you know, the day after a long run, you're just not going to be able to hit the numbers. So definitely think those sort of uh, types of workouts are, are really beneficial maybe if you're in a... In a bike specific phase uh, in your off season good old how now brown cow dolphin i never improved on the bike <laughs> <laughs> maybe you should have listened now you've listened to this segment there's some workouts here mate give these a try arnold solikov scott on the road a five-hour ride with a couple of mates at conversation pace immediately followed by 60 to 90 minutes with the pedal to the metal on my own a shower and light omelet with a fridge full with content Rebecca Jocelyn, long uphill grinding sets, 60 RPM. I do this throughout the year, which builds strength and power. Peter Combs got, I have an out and back rider called bake, uh, Cake and Bacon Ride. Basically, it's 40K at just above target power, coffee and cake, another 40K at the same power, followed by breakfast that includes bacon. It's awesome. Clyde Rosanowski, in-season Ironman prep cycle workouts with Pod, Paul O'Doherty. Haven't oh, seen nice. that name from a blast in the past. Uh, something like one-hour warm-up, three by 40 minutes at Ironman pace, five minutes easy, 10 minutes half Ironman pace, five minutes easy, and repeat times three as above, and then one hour steady. It's a killer. It's kind of like what we used to do, isn't it? Yeah, look, those sort of sessions... Adding structure into your long rides is just so good and learning to be able to push, not mentally hard at the end of a long ride, but we used to have, say, a stretch down Old West Coast Road, so it's about, you know, take us an hour or so to get down there and riding that sort of maybe half Ironman effort, something like that, when you've already been riding for four hours, hugely beneficial, both mentally and physically, um, be pushing when you're tired. So, Clyde, nice workout. Ben Cobra has got Drew to having a balance, balance my life and training. Take a fair amount of spin sessions. Use them for speed and thresholds. 20 to 40 seconds sets uh, plus 5 to 8 minutes efforts and increased resistance along with strength and resistance training around the session. So I haven't got one single workout because it does. If, if you want to really improve your biking, it's got to be you know a series of workouts. But I think in terms for me, my the workouts that I think gave me really good bang for my buck once I was built up fit enough to, to do them properly is longer FTP reps. So it might be you know three by fifteen minutes FTP. It might be two by twenty or even two by twenty five. And I'd sort of use that in a progression to build up for for a one hour time trial. So that'd be a hundred percent on the flat. Really, really even power output, um, but that's what I thought gave me the best bang for my buck. But you've got to be fit enough to do them properly. So that might come, say, if I was going to do a 12-week cycle focus, that might be sort of between you know 
week six and week 10 I have a block there where I really start to build up the duration of the FTP work and found that to be hugely beneficial. I think it's like, a, God, I don't run my bike much nowadays, but really at all, but I teach some spin classes, does it count? But um, but I have to say, doing stuff when you're fatigued is, you know, so kind of not what John's saying here, it's a little bit different, but um, in your longer rides, doing stuff in the last hour or so, mm. it can be really beneficial because if you've done a good ride where like, you know, you may have done some Ironman pace work or some half Ironman pace work, you know, five or six hour bike ride, but to do something in the last hour, you know, of a level that's appropriate, but because it just teaches you such a mental game. And that's that's the thing. Like the, the short, some of the guys have mentioned this really short, sharp stuff. Really, and, and as with, with what Bevan's saying here, yeah, of course you can get the physiological adaptations, mm. but it's that mental side of things yeah. of just punishing yourself. And that's a trained effect, you know, we do all this training, but you've got to train your, your mind to be ready for the moment of the run or on the bike where you've just got to go super deep. And if you don't practice that in training, yeah, it's going to be, you're going to be crap at it on race and, day. And the thing that's easy to do is that it's easy to do early in the session because you're mm. fresh, you know, but to have that once you're at a fatigue state, in that moment where you're like, oh God, I've got an hour to go on this ride, and then to try to not just get through the hour, but to actually to do it well, there's so much learning around how to race and how to be stronger in the time that comes with that kind of session. So for me, that's my advice. Nice. John, this week's discussion, we want to know, we're basically pros, you know, can be a hard life. It's a 1% game, John. Mm-hmm. The 1% do really well and the rest struggle. So we basically say, well, the pros who you follow, what makes you follow them? And then what advice would you give to pros who maybe you don't follow to help them build their following? Help a pro week. Help a pro. Here we go, John. Sponsor! I came in this morning, so we're going to talk extreme endurance. I said to Bevan, you know, we'll talk about his run later on. I said, uh, yeah, how are those legs doing? Because if you recall from last week, I gave him some extreme endurance, and I said, look, take it. And it was going to help me grow my take hamstrings. It. Yeah. It's going to help him grow his hamstring. I'm going to blame my wife on this one, John. Help you. I'm going to blame my wife. Recover post-race. What did I come in here this morning? How are the legs? Yeah, they're pretty sore. Oh, do you not take the extreme endurance? What happened was I had my I had my vitamins. Warm hair is and my fish. Do you take fish oil? I don't, but yeah, it's the one thing everyone thinks. You know, fish oil is pretty well. You know, science. You're, you're a nutritionist. Yeah, yeah. Get your fish oil. But yeah. so I take a vitamin and fish oil in the morning, and I put my extreme endurance by it because I knew at night I had my cup of tea, mm-hmm. and I thought, okay, that will remain because I, I, you know, put it to put it on a habit you already have. Yeah, I did it the first morning, and then it was gone, <laughs> and I forgot all about it. And then I thought, where is it? And Joe, I don't know why Joe moved it. She must have thought I just left it out because I'm a bit messy at the house. And uh, so it wasn't there. And so I forgot all about it. And tell you what, John. He paid come, the price. Come Monday morning and Sunday morning. I really regret not take Because the thing about the race was I didn't run for three weeks leading up to the race. Mm-hmm. Now, I had a really good race. And we'll talk about that later on. But my legs, I was not in a good place. <laughs> it's Foolish, boy. So if you want to have legs that are less sore after a race, get yourself some extreme endurance. And it's a real good example, actually, because I had to teach three classes at the gym yesterday, which is not mm. not really – so I really should have had a day off because I was mm-hmm. I was in that place where, you know, if you bend your knees, you almost feel like you're going to fall over. Like mm-hmm. it was a bit like that. Mm-hmm. Much better today. But So teaching was not fun. And uh, if you are doing training where you are doing continuous load and you're going to do a hard – let's say you're doing it like an Ironman, you're going to do a hard half marathon in there – you, you need to get back on the horse pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Now, yesterday, really, it probably going to be four or five days where I can look oh, before yeah. I can train properly. If I'd taken extreme endurance wisely, like, and John had actually yeah. brought it for me, um, you know, that meant if, if I was looking for a future goal, that I could have trained much wisely this week. So I remember when I first tried it and did a couple of 5Ks. Which are hard. Um, which are hard. One of them, I was just a 
just so sore afterwards and I can't remember what the gap was exactly between the next one next one did it and uh, next to no muscle soreness pretty much at all similar thing happened where I did two marathons in one season first one an agony second one I was like running the kids to preschool you know the next day literally so and I think it's, you know and the thing for me the reason I was so sore is because I didn't run for three weeks leading up to the race mm, exactly. and so it was you know like if I'd been running up to the race I would have been a bit sore but not how sore I was um and that's, you know, for you who are out there who maybe get a little bit injured and you're still going to do your race or you still need to do an event or something, that's probably the best, you know, I, this was the best time for me to use it. Now, admittedly, I was a fool, I admit it. But, um, yeah. He so, first, he's a fool. Yep. It's uh, the only time you're ever going to hear it. So, extreme endurance. Remember the promo code IAMTALK20 and get 20% off. Okay, John, three, two, one, stats, tastic. It's, it's fantastic. fantastic, and this is a fantastic one because Thorson the Geek has done some bloody good homework this week. On his great website, tryrating.com, he's done the fastest time in Ironman individual legs. Now, we've talked about the fastest iron distance races a lot over the last few years, and John Levinson's got that great page on try247.com, but this one actually breaks it down a little bit further. So he's gone and he's looked at since 2000, wasn't it 2019 or 2005 onwards, which we could probably assume he's the fastest of each anyway. Pretty much. Yeah. And he's got the top 25 swim, bike, and run for both the males and the females. So we thought we'd break them down. Yeah, just we'll do, I, I want you guys to go and check out tryrating.com because Torsten sent us through something else we're going to use next week. So uh, we're kind of stealing all this information, but go, go and check oh, out such more, a good website. More, yeah, and, and even like, like post race, you know, we use it now for our post race website because mm. it does such good you know reports, and he always has the results up. So, so yeah. you guys won't be surprised, you know, in terms of the fastest times, Jan Fredino's is uh, seven thirty five, and Chrissy Wellington's eight eighteen, and an eight nineteen as well. Crikey, Dick! So Danielle Reef this year was. Four, four minutes off breaking Chrissy's record on a day that's on a much tougher run course. This year? Was it last year? This year she did that well. Yeah, no, the, near last year. Yeah. Yeah, 2016. Yeah. The swim's kind of, swim doesn't really count because I'm not saying it doesn't count. But we've still got to give some love. Yep, so um, Brandon, uh, Barrett Brandon um, swam 38 once at Ironman Chattanooga. That was when they had the downstream one. So all the, all the swim times are either from Chattanooga or, or New, York. New York when they were all downstream. So but nice to do a swim in 40 minutes, but wouldn't it? 38. No, it wouldn't actually. <laughs> uh, it'd be it'd be kind of going. Oh, that's nice, but it, I'd be uh, happy with it. I wouldn't be happy with that. And same applies with the girls. It's pretty much all Chattanooga or New York. So Anna Cleaver, Kiwi girl, has got the fastest swim from Chattanooga in 2014. Um, Guys, the bikes. Things. The bikes is just massively variable as well, but it's mostly. Well, I know, John, but you got the, it's okay. We, we there's variables. We we know. Mm. So Starkowitz has got the top three splits at uh, well, three different courses actually, which is pretty impressive. Um, Texas, Florida, and Arizona: four hundred one, four hundred two, four hundred three. And then uh, you've got uh, Sanders and Starkowitz, the next couple of places. Um, the girls' side of things, fastest bike split ever is Daniela Reef, a 4.31 at Challenge Rote. Um, but we, now, now, just on that, if we, what would you say is the right comparison? Like, Starkowitz is a freak, isn't he? Mm-hmm. But Sanders is only a couple minutes behind him, but still, Starkowitz is a freak. Is Daniela a freak on the bike? Well, let's see, look at her times. I mean, they kind of speak for herself. She's got the fastest time. She's got the seventh fastest time. But we haven't, like, because Tuckowitz, does he come from a cycling background? Um, I don't think so, but he's very strong on the bike. He's a good swimmer. I just wonder if, like, relative, you know, you often say the fastest high man, the fastest girl is going to be about 30 minutes behind, don't you? Uh, a little bit more than that. You know, like, Jan versus 
Yeah, no, Daniela. It's, it's more than that because if you look at the fastest times of all time, you have uh, Jan Fredino, 7.35, and Chrissy Wellington, 8.18. So, so it's about I'd, 45 minutes. Yeah, I'd be saying. Often you say if it's more than an hour, the girls haven't performed very well. Um, and if yeah, it's less so than... 45 to 60 is sort of your, if your like Within 30, the guys haven't performed as well. Mm. Um, so is Starkowitz that much better than Daniela? Uh, I wouldn't have said so, no. So 30 minutes. Based on that, it's probably about the same, isn't it? Mm. Hmm, interesting. Um, but the the run is what surprises Did me Did we the say most. Caroline Stephan and Yvonne Van Vluken for the fastest spikes? No, they were second and third. Yep. Uh, on the running side of things, what blows me away here is <gasps> the Kona performances. So you've got in there the ninth fastest time of all time running is a seven thirty uh, 2.39 by Patrick Langer in Kona, and he also has the 11th fastest run of all time. Now, Kona is pretty accurate in terms of the numbers that I've seen in terms of distances. So the yep. fact that somebody's got the ninth and the 11th fastest time of all time it blows me away on the guys, but even more so on the girls when you've got Marinda Carfrey in <sighs> position five and six and eight, and then Chrissy Wellington in 10. Again, all done in Hawaii. It is, A, it's hard course, but the conditions are brutal, and you've been getting beaten up all day. I'm, I'm really surprised that there's not faster run splits elsewhere. Um, you know, and there's a few times there in Roach, um, but you know, yeah, just find that really weird. Just so, so then, but as Marini, so like, if you were going to say the best athlete in each league, um, swim, we're probably going to say Kiwi girl. Just, just, I know swims are all over the place. Bike, we're going to say Starkwitz, male and female. Oh, it's currently no, you can't compare. Well, because I would say Caffrey is probably the best runner. Oh yeah, yeah. On the run, I think that's pretty clear cut. Because Caffrey's only not eleven minutes behind Patrick. No, it's clear cut. She she is, yeah, definitely. The, the best iron distance runner, no matter what sex. Mm-hmm. That's unbelievable. She's a freak, man. Seriously fast. That's unbelievable. So the fastest men's time outside of Kona was Bart Arnott's. He did a 2.37 in France. Uh, Victor Del Coro, uh, same 2.37 in Florida. Craig Alexander did 2.38 in Melbourne. And then the girls, you got Christian Moller. She did... Um, 2.41 in the Ironman UK Chrissy got second and third and wrote both 2.44 and 2.48 just it's good stuff go check out tryrating.com if you want to look at that in, um, in a bit more detail and I'll put a link to that particular article in this week's show notes www.imtalk.me okay John 1, 2, 3, 4 ha so this weekend some people will be watching the million dollar potential prize purse yes. over in Bahrain but all the officiados that are in the know will be keeping an eye on triathlonfestival.co.nz because that's where it's all happening. Oh. We, have, we have a draft legal age group race, which is a selection for the, for the uh, world champs next year in Australia. I tell you what, our Kiwis have got a little bit easier than the Australians. Um, really? There was, I had a guy racing in Australia at the, the weekend, the Albatross. Uh, he was out there racing and then there's in the 40 to 44 age group. Yep. And I think he, there was like 60 in his age group. This was a non-draft one. I think he's doing another race and it's like 50. And I'm like, over here, we're lucky if we have five. <laughs> it's, uh, really? man, the Aussies have got it. Uh, it is hard to make their team, especially when it's a, it's a world champs. It's in Australia. And it's, in, it's Gold Coast. Yeah. So sprint distance, for those of you who don't know, at the world champs now is draft legal for age groupers. And there's just a couple of points there that I didn't actually know. Is oh, that age- really changes the game, doesn't it? Uh, it does, yeah. 
draft legal for age groupers can't have aero bars. Even the elites these days, not them, that many of them have aero bars, but you can't have aero bars, not even the little dinky ones. So, uh, And there also there's going to be a rule change coming up as well, probably. Disc brakes are currently actually banned, but if anybody's listening to this and they are racing at the weekend, we have... Uh, we are excluding that rule from uh, the Tri-NZ rules that we are applying. So you can, disc brakes sound like they're going to be phased in rather than phased out. As and far why? Because the concern was safety? Yes, slice your bloody feet open and yeah. things like that. So why are they allowing it then? I don't know. Who cares about feet? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So a couple of tips, because a lot of you guys will have never done draft league races, and this is some of the things I'll be saying to athletes this weekend. And I would encourage you guys, if you get the opportunity to do a draft league race, go do it. Even if you're doing an Ironman, again, it's that, it's that putting yourself in those uncomfortable situations. Even if you're a crappy swimmer. Tell you um, what, motivates you to learn how to swim, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, and motivates you to learn how to ride your bike with a bit of vigor and, um, and, and corner properly. And it's just a pushes you out of your comfort zone and also if you can get into your local cycle racing because that really helps you in your you know how to cycle in a group that ties in nicely to point number one so oh. this is a high five <laughs> this is one thing i'm going to be saying in our pre-race safety briefing on the bike encourage others rather than abuse them don't expect anyone to know how to rotate in a group or have good bike handling handling skills so give and take advice freely because i'm not going to say i'm worried but when you're in a bike race it can get pretty nasty and people just yell at you oh and, yeah and uh was and Kathy just, Lynch remember Kathy Lynch oh they're just assholes towards you there was a lady called Kathy Lynch who was a world mountain bike champion wasn't she mm-hmm. She was, and she, but she was uh, uh, she had bigger balls than any man you'd ever meet mm. she was a hard ass and she'd just be <laughs> yelling at you yeah. just hurling abuse at you when you're in the race and I remember I did a race and I was just <laughs> I was just scared yeah. it was when I was early on she was get to the front oh shit okay. <laughs> so um, you're, you're better off you know we of course, you've got to play the game tactically. You might want to get rid of other people. But um, if you're in a group, you know, encourage people to, 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 to work and, and educate them. And if you don't know, have a clue what you're doing, don't be abusive back to somebody and think they're being rude. Actually try to work as a bit of a team and really start to get a bit of a chain gang going. Especially so. if you're chasing someone up the road. You're much mm. better to work as a group. Mm. You know, that's the advantage you have is the ability to not have to do too many efforts. So I'll do number two, John. Okay. Number two, the swim is important, especially in the closing stages. So... Often, myself included, and lots of other people, you get a bit slack in the swim at times because you know it's it's part of the race, but it's not going to be a game changer. Mm. But in short sprint distance, it can be a game changer. So you've really got to be very alert in the swim, especially when you're on the final leg into the into the beach. And that's a time where you should be trying to move up around the group a little bit and making sure that you're not letting the foot off the accelerator at all and, uh, and you're coming out as high as you possibly can because... Uh, if you don't get on the wheel on the bike, chances are you won't get back on. Okay, number three. Number three, transition one doesn't finish until you are at full speed on the bike. So a lot of you guys might practice your transitions, you run in, try to get your wetsuit on really quickly, but you know the transition goes from basically coming out of the swim, getting that right, all the way through transitions, so getting your wetsuit off quickly, onto the bike and just making sure that you have the skills to really get up to speed quickly with your shoes and your pedals and uh, and keep that pressure on until your feet are in that in those pedals because you can lose an awful lot of time and again it could be it could be uh, race over, not race over but you know you could quite easily lose 30 to 60 seconds by by missing riding with someone who who really has got their transition skills up to speed okay number four brush up on cornering and you turn small gear in 
and out, and then you of the U-turn and cornering lines and pressure on the outside. So what I mean there is, from my race at this weekend, you know they're going to have four U-turns and God knows how many sort of um, ninety-degree corners. But all too often, you see people go into the U-turns and they haven't changed down their gears. They come out the other side and they're just crunching this ginormous gear. Uh, a, it takes uh, a lot of energy to do that, and B, it's a hell of a lot slower in terms of actually before you come into the turn, change down two or three gears, and then you come out the other side get those pedals turning over quickly and you're back up to speed. So again, that's an opportunity if you tactically want to play the game to try to either split the bunch open is to actually be try to be at the front and be aggressive out of the U-turns. Um, equally, if you are struggling at the back, you need to be onto it to make sure that you don't get popped off the back. Developing those skills is so important. Like It was interesting doing this run on the weekend, John, because I was at the point of the race and I was around probably four or five guys and it was a little bit undulating. The amount of time I could gain going down the hills just because of a good downhill technique mm. blew my mind away. And I'm at the pointy end. I'm like, that's basic running skills, guys. You know, mm. like if you want to be competitive in a race, those are your easy wins, aren't they? And mm. so, you know, if you are thinking about you are doing a cycle race and you haven't really got great cornering and U-turn skills or you, or you don't know how to pick the right line, Work on it because it's it's your yeah, easy win, and that just comes down to you know power output as well. Um, so you know when you when you're running up the hills, you don't want to be maxing out. Yeah, but you've got to be oh. working it on the downhill. It's not going to take a much energy to get a really big gain. And same thing if if you were on a hilly bike course, cresting those hills and really accelerating down the downhills. That's just when people just switch off and they have a little recovery. Yeah, it's like no, if you're trying to get the best race, you know all those little moments make a massive difference. Last one, John, number five. The run is five kilometers. The temptation when you're doing draft legal races where the intensity might vary a bit more and you might actually be working harder on the bike than you do in an individual time trial um, triathlon is temptation. You get off the bike and you see them at the ITU you know, World Series races, they get off and they just drill that first K like you wouldn't believe. Yeah. My advice would be Patience. it's still a 5K run. <laughs> Control that first K, get your rhythm, get your breathing and then start drilling it. Well, maybe we should do a segment on how you would train for this type of racing. Because, you know, like going back to this week's discussion of the week, you know, lots of people are doing these kind of hits type of workouts. Well, for the biking, that changes how you ride a bike now, isn't it? Mm. You know, and, and it is going to be a lot more of a hits type of workout on the bike instead of a kind of steady state effort. So you maybe we could do a segment on that moving forward. If you've got any questions around sort of um, training tips or anything like that, flick them through. We always welcome questions and uh, do our best to answer them to the best of our ability. Okay, John, a few months ago we had Jill Aspen on the show and she was just talking about um, she was talking about the, you're doing a survey around depression and the mental side of the sport and you guys actually were really supportive in her study. So she's had done a study, so we thought we'd get back on just to talk about the things she has learned. So here is Jill. Okay, guys, you'll remember earlier in the year, um, all the way through this year, and I know Bevan's had a recent podcast I saw came out around uh, depression and having a couple of guys on chatting about that, some some local fellas, and earlier this year we had uh, Gillian Aspen who was doing some research into athletes and um, and sort of, their, I guess, their predispositions towards um, having mental health issues and so we're going to get her to explain it a hell of a lot better but she's gone off and done some research and come back and got some findings now so she can explain that what she found and I know some of you guys uh, participated in the study so uh, welcome back along to the show. Hi it's good to be here again. 
cool. <laughs> so tell us a bit. Um, just re- let's revisit. You know um, what you're actually doing in terms of your area and study and some of the the terminology you're using. So when we sort of go through the findings, people have got a, a better grasp of what you were trying to achieve. So the study was looking at depression and anxiety in um, higher level competitive athletes. So kind of national and international, mainly national and international level athletes. And it was looking at the two concepts of irrational beliefs and of schemas and how they interact and how they interact with depression and anxiety. So I'll just explain a bit about what they are. So an irrational belief um, is kind of what it says on the tin, really. It's, It's a belief that not everybody might hold, that it's not necessarily necessarily um, an objective belief about a situation um, it's a belief that somebody might have developed well, through their experiences with sport so an example might be um, if I don't win it's terrible um, or if I don't win my world will come crashing down or if I don't win people will hate me so it's quite extreme irrational beliefs about and it's not just about winning it could be about any aspect of sport um so it could be about how much people do in training um you know how many reps they do what times they hit um it can people can generate these irrational beliefs about any aspect of their training and about anything that they, they might think of themselves or what they imagine other people might think think of them um and they're kind of if you think about kind of the way our brains work we've got these beliefs that we can access pretty easily um you know thoughts come into our head we know what we're thinking we can kind of act we can access those thoughts fairly easily so an irrational belief would be that that kind of level of thought that it comes into our head and we know that we think it would be absolutely terrible if we didn't win our age group um so that's irrational beliefs. Schemas, sort of by contrast, they're a much deeper level um, way of thinking. So we're not always aware of how these schemas can kind of be driving what we're thinking. So a schema is it's a pattern of thinking and feeling and behaving. Um, and they start when we're really young, tiny toddlers and all of that. Um, and they're formed through an interaction between the needs that all babies, all children are born with. Um, generally the same for everybody, but there's individual differences within that. We all have our own needs. And then the ability of the environment, which is mainly our parents when we're growing up, to meet those needs. Nobody gets their needs met 100%, so we all have a few different skills it makes us all different it makes the world interesting um so if our needs aren't met enough we need to find a way to cope with that so we might start to kind of adjust the way we think about things or adjust the way we behave in order to to cope with give you an example so imagine you're i don't know maybe you're getting into sport you're in primary school 
you know, might be like six or seven, you've started doing a bit of running or something, and your PE teacher is like, come on, come on, you can go faster, faster, come on, come on. And you're thinking, oh, I can't, I don't want to, oh, I hate this. And then you start to maybe, you might push yourself or you might just think, oh, I don't want to do it anymore, and you might just give up. Um, so that might set you up into a pattern of really pushing yourself really hard or just not really pushing yourself at all and giving up on things quite easily. So then when you might, I don't know, you might carry on with running or you might find a different sport later in life that you might have this schema. So that would, I would say that would probably be an unrelenting standard schema, which is kind of like perfectionism. That If you're pushing yourself, pushing yourself, that it's, you know, you've got to win, it's got to be perfect. You've got to hit your times in training. It's just unrelenting. Um, it's just got to be so that would be an example of a that unrelenting standards is just one um, of quite a few different schemas that there are but there are much deeper levels on a way of thinking people aren't always quite aware of it it's a bit more it kind of drives us without us necessarily realizing so in terms of get, gathering all your information um it was done online and, and you sort of said it was um, sort of mid to international sort of level competition. So what, what were your sort of criteria for, for those that you know, did take part in the, in the, stat, the, the study and, and did you rule people in or out for, you know, if they had a predisposition to mental health issues or anything like that, you know? How did you gather your information and what sort of um, individuals did you have? So... Um, people were they kind of ruled themselves in if they felt that they were at the competitive end of races so it was quite subjective really if people felt that they were quite competitive you know maybe they did come in the top three in their age group in you know decent level races um, or maybe they qualified for their age group or you know they qualified for Kona or they raced at a national or an international level, um, there were some people that would probably be racing below that level, but that they still would see, you know, maybe they were winning the races or maybe they were winning their age group, that they would still see themselves at the, the cutting edge of the, um, the races. So those people would rule themselves in and those people, you know, they'd read the criteria and see that that was them. And then... They had to be over 18, so they had to be adults. And then the only other criteria, and this was really just for ethics, um, to make sure that people weren't distressed by filling in the questionnaires and then not really having any way to manage that or anywhere to go, was that people that would see themselves as having a diagnosable mental health problem were excluded. Um, so it was just a question, do you have a mental health problem, yes or no? And if somebody ticked no, then they got thrown out of the questionnaire on the computer and didn't go through it to the end everyone else would carry on so there was a questionnaire on each there was one on each of the things that I've been talking about there was one on irrational beliefs one on schemas one on depression and one on anxiety so people would fill in each of those and we got 214 participants in the end which was brilliant and I must just say thank you so much to all that I am taught people that filled it in because I was looking for 190 and then to get 214 was just brilliant so thanks everyone good job 
<coughs> so I guess the big question is, you know, so what have what have you uh, what are the results and and what have you learned? So the main result is um, that I try and make this straightforward. So if somebody has, so there's four, four different irrational beliefs. I won't describe all of them, but the one that came out as being particularly interesting was one um, called depreciation. And that's about being quite down on yourself, being quite negative about yourself, thinking that others might not see you in a very good light, they might be down on you and that generally you kind of um, have quite negative irrational beliefs about yourself, other people and about life. So people that had that irrational belief and also had depression and or anxiety would be even more likely to have depression and or anxiety if they also had two of the schemas that we were looking at we looked at three so one of them was unrelenting standards which oh hang on no it wasn't one of them was um failure to achieve which was as it says really that feeling that you just haven't you know even if you've won a race you just you'll come up with a reason why it's a failure and you feel like you haven't done a very good job at all and the other one was defectiveness so is is about feeling that there's something wrong with you. There's some kind of defect. You can't always describe what it is, but there's just something there that if other people really knew you, they would see this defect and they wouldn't like you because of it. So just to kind of recap that again, people who had the depreciation, irrational belief, were more likely to be depressed and or anxious if they also had the failure to achieve and or the defectiveness schemas. So, so basically, if you have one, more, more than one of those, there's a higher likely chance that you're probably going to suffer a higher level of mental yeah. struggle. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, so really, and there's a couple of other results that I come on to, but I guess thinking about what that means for athletes or psychologists or sports psychologists is that if a sports psychologist working with someone who maybe has a, a bit of depression or anxiety symptoms going on, if they've got irrational beliefs around what they think about themselves and, and if they can be quite negative about themselves, that you could work on it at that level. These are these kind of beliefs that we're quite easy to access. Mm. Um, but if that person doesn't really make any changes, if it's not really helping them, if they're feeling like they're not really getting from the sports psychologist what they wanted to, maybe it's not really making that much difference in their kind of sporting experience, then it's worth thinking about these deeper level processes that are more kind of lifelong patterns of feeling that they don't really like themselves, there's some kind of thing that they don't like about them or that they're a failure in some way. Is any of this sort of, um, can you self-diagnose to a degree any of this stuff? Like if people are sitting there listening to what you're saying and sort of going, oh, maybe I've got a bit of that, bit of this, bit of that, or is it something that really needs to be um, diagnosed in more of a clinical sort of setting? Um, you can look into it yourself. Um, 
schema therapy is more my area of expertise than the irrational beliefs bit. So I couldn't say so much about any online resources for irrational beliefs. Um, but with schema therapy, the schema therapy website is literally just www.schematherapy.com. Um, and on there are, are, I don't think you have to pay for them, or there might be older versions that you can access. You can fill in the schema questionnaire, which is the questionnaire that we used in this study. Um, and that will give you an idea of of which schemas might be relevant for you if you're struggling in particular ways and then there's a book a self-help book um it's called reinventing your life um and it's brilliant it's got a chapter on each of the different schemas um it's got a bit more of a detailed questionnaire that you can fill in to see if that schema is relevant for you it takes you through how that schema might have formed the kind of impact that it might have on your life now and then it's got um I think at the back of each chapter, it's got about 10 ways that you can, things that you can try and do to address that schema. So yeah, if people think that they might be struggling, you know, if they've got kind of depression or anxiety and they're interested in what might be causing that, I lose that, use that term loosely, but you know, what might be underlying it, then I think the Reinventing Your Life book can certainly be a good start to help people think about what's going on. And, and probably the one other area where you, you mentioned a couple of times is around the sort of the fear of failure. Um, and I, I don't know, I, I'm, I'm going to say it's, it's pretty common in a huge number of athletes, but I guess the, the degree to which it might affect some people is going to vary quite a bit. So is, have you sort of got any techniques that, that either you advise or recommend around maybe trying to flip that on its head a little bit more in terms of maybe pre-race planning just to have a, a slightly more positive outlook rather than just being in that constant fear all the time actually trying to flip that around and, and have some positive outlooks on the race so um, the irrational belief way of looking at it would have you think what's so bad about failure you know if you don't win say you come second why does that matter to you why are you are you scared of that what is the problem with that so it would be about trying to understand why 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 is it a negative you know silver medal that's all right you're still on the podium you know why is that a problem so it's about understanding um what's going on and you just keep asking yourself why and then you would give yourself the art you know it's because um i don't know my friends will laugh at me or why why would they laugh at you yeah. oh well Maybe they might think, I don't know, I don't know if that's a very good example, yeah. but they might think, yeah. I don't know, it's, yeah, I don't know, you should have got gold. Well, why, why would they think that? Why should you get gold? You know, so you just, I haven't picked a very good example, but you just keep going, why? And why is that a problem? And why is that a problem? And why is that a problem? Just to explore where that fear, what that fear is about. With schema therapy, it would be about thinking, where does that fear come from? So you might be thinking, okay, you know, often it might go back to being a kid at school or in your family, you know, when did I fail and what what happened when I failed? Why is it, why am I so scared of it? And if you can think, you know, oh, I remember that time I came last in the sack race at school and everyone laughed at me. So then you'd be going into your race thinking, you know, this is an Ironman, this is not a sack race. You know, it's not, the same thing isn't going to happen. 
it's a completely different situation none of those same people are here you know I've trained I've put my all into this I'm going to do my absolute best you know this isn't the sack race it's a different situation so it's just telling yourself even if you've got the same feelings that you had in the sack race you're not in the sack race now it's a different totally different situation Um, I think one thing that's probably really important to reinforce here is if you are someone who's listening to this, these things can be overcome, can't they? Mm, definitely. Yeah, because a, a lot of people have these struggles. They've lived in them for so long, they just think that's life. And, you know, like, like any era of your life, we can move thing, through the things that are our struggles. And it takes effort, it takes time, and it takes commitment. But to not just accept that this is how things are for me, and to really think this should be a project that I'm going to work on, like like an Ironman, I suppose, in some ways, um, and that if it's if it's really holding me back in my experience of how I live my life, it's actually worth putting the time into this. And there will be a time in the future, if you're willing to do that, where this will be a past experience of life. Absolutely. And I think, you know, just as you say, if you're doing an Ironman, that takes hours and hours and hours, you know, weeks and months of training well, training your brain is just as important part as training your body. Mm. You know, you train your body to be able to put yourself through hell for 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 hours. Mm. So, I mean, Iron Man, I think, is just as much a mental game as it is a physical game. It's the person who can make themselves suffer for the longest amount of time. You know, it's people often say it's the person who wants it the most that wins so if anxiety is a problem or if depression is getting in the way of training if you can't be bothered then it's about you know that physical lethargy that that depression brings on then it's about thinking okay I need to train my brain here it's just as important as training my body because without the motivation I'm not going to get out the door to train you know if anxiety um, holds me back in races then I need to train my brain to make that not so important and I think it's also really important because you know athletes are typically perceived as strong people you know they get this label from society of geez you're so good because you do exercise because most people really struggle with exercise and it's really Mm. important that often can isolate us because we (laughs) want to keep up this kind of persona of we are a strong person so in some ways many athletes don't look for the support they need because they don't want to diminish their perception of how the world sees them and so for that reason it's really important that if you are, you know, listening to this today and you think, oh, maybe I have got some of the things I need to work on, is that the way to do it is to look for the right people to support you through it, not to think you need to do it all by yourself. Absolutely, absolutely. And I say um, where I work in the National Health Service with people with mental health problems in my clinical psychology job, that people say, oh, but it's weak to ask for help. And then I say, how difficult was it for you to ask for help? Oh, it's really difficult. So then actually it's taken strength for you to be able to come here and do that. Oh, yeah, it has actually. Mm. So then you're not weak at all. You're actually really strong, the fact that you're sat here, because you've had to overcome that fear of being able to do it, and that's taken strength. So I think you can totally flip it on its head that people see it as a weakness, but actually it takes a lot of strength yeah. to it's do that. It's interesting. One of the things I've learned you know, working through people through exercise is that when people struggle, they tend to isolate themselves. And, and if anything, that makes things a lot harder moving forward and actually looking for support and, and the right people to guide you is such an important part. You know, if we're saying that you can experience these things and you can move forward with them, 
Well, the wisest way to do that is to get the right people around you, not thinking you're doing it by yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You just, and then you've got people to bounce off, people, ideas to kind of think, oh, maybe I'll try this. And then you've got somebody to ask you how it went, that you're not on your own with it. You've got somebody to, you know, mull over how it went and whether you're going to try it again or, you know, you might be trying to learn a particular technique or you're going to try and tweak it a bit and do it differently. It's really important to surround ourselves with people because well i always say humans are pack animals you know we live mm. we don't live on their own but generally we surround ourselves with people well and, we and I, people. I often say you know the greatest punishment we give to people is isolation you know like solitary confinement is the biggest punishment you can get isn't it so uh you know like we do okay. need people and also i think the other thing about that when you bring other people into the picture you realize you're not alone in your experience and I think a lot of people in this place have this thing of they just don't understand. But then once you open up, you realise, oh, people have had the experience of head, which helps us to accept our own struggle. Yeah, and I think so many times people would say, you know, oh, I sat down and I spoke to such a body about this problem, you know, anxiety or whatever, thought they were completely on their own. And maybe they've spoken to a person who they thought was strong and, you know, would have good advice because they see them as a strong person. And then that person says, well, I'm exactly the same. Yeah. You know, I've experienced what you're talking about. And then you kind of think, oh, but I see you as a strong person. But then you can still be strong. Mm -hmm. You can be strong and experience anxiety. And it's the strength that kind of helps you, you know, train your brain or train your body or, or do whatever it is that you need to do to get through that. So if um, if have you got this your your findings sort of published anywhere at this stage if people want to read sort of the full um full report or is it going to be out anywhere and and have you got any anything else you want to sort of cover off or any other links or recommendations over and above the the books and stuff that you've already mentioned so it isn't published yet but hopefully it will be um i can always once well hopefully it is published i can email the link um it, obviously it won't be for a few months or sometimes it it even takes a year or so for these things to happen but if it does happen then i can email the link and you can put it in your right. show notes yeah, in the um i have got just a couple of page summary yeah that i've right. written of the study can email you over um i guess the other bit results wise that i wanted to talk about was there were two so we looked at loads and loads of correlations the associations between all of the different measures that we used and there were two results that when you put them together were really important so when we compared people that raced internationally um, with people that raced more uh, more local level on all of the other scales the schema stuff and all of the anxiety and depression questionnaires um, there weren't there wasn't really any difference so there was no significant difference between their scores on those questionnaires, depending whether you were a local level athlete or an international level athlete. Mm. And then we took the bottom quarter and the top quarter of people scoring on depression and anxiety. So the most depressed and anxious compared to the ones that weren't depressed and anxious at all and compared them on all of the other um, scales and there was a significant difference on virtually everything. So putting those two results together, that shows you that it isn't the level of competition that makes people think a certain way or, you know, 
be depressed or, or particularly anxious um you know there's papers written about how oh it's the pressure of you know the olympics or you know iron man final or whatever kona or you know it's it's the pressure um that makes people feel anxious but actually it isn't it's the way people think mm. because when you see that when you compare depressed and anxious and non then there was a difference on virtually all the scales so it's more to do with the scales being about the way you think so it's all about the way you think and not about the situation you're in and actually it was the local level athletes that were experiencing more anxiety the international level athletes were okay they didn't really have that much anxiety you know it could be because they've been racing for a lot longer they've got used to dealing with that pressure and they've worked out ways that work for them which then but that still backs up that it's not the situation that you're in that is a problem it's your interpretation of that situation that can cause people a problem Stuff. Awesome. Now we appreciate your time, and um, it gives us plenty of food for thought. And and, uh, uh, yeah, and I'll put those links in the book in the show notes as well. So if you guys want to go and have a listen or, or get the book, um, you can get go to me. Awesome. Thanks so much for your time, and good luck with any uh, any future studies. So keep us informed if you have anything else on the uh, on, Thank the, on you. radar. I will do. Thanks a lot. Interesting stuff, Jumbo. It is indeed. Always can be learning more in this area. Yeah, definitely, definitely. An important area. And like we said, you know, like you can get better in these things. And, and actually, John, we did a podcast, not John, um, Porno and a mate of his, uh, Kieran and I, did a podcast Saw on Kieran running last night. Oh, he did Queensland as well. So he's back running already. Yeah, probably during endurance, that's why. But um, he, we did a podcast did on... actually, I think. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I should have listened. Uh, hey. Do as I say, not as I do. Um, but just uh, we did a, a podcast on men's health, and it's just three guys talking about men's health. We've had a massive amount of feedback on it. So if you want to, I might actually put it in this week's show notes. Just kind of talking about an area which often gets neglected. So men's health is, you can check it out. It's on the Bevan Jam Style Show, and I'll put a link to it in this week's show notes. Me. Jombo, Wanger of the Week. Have you ever got onto the Wanger of the Week leaderboard for anything? Or you Am I on it this week? No. Huh. No. Okay. No, I haven't, John. No. You need to try harder. Well, what, I'm not going to do most activities. No. Don't go, well, you know what? You should. No, you if can, I put on my classes, yeah, that's legit. You can put that on. I won't be. I won't be complaining. Okay. About one day I'll wear my. The Liz Mills gave us a polar watch that records classes, and one day I'll put all of those into Strava because that might get me on the table. Then, mm-hmm. uh, longest activity ain't happening. Speed on the bike that ain't happening. Most swim time that ain't happening. <laughs> most time on the bike that ain't happening. Most runtime, well, with bloody Jim Plunkett, that ain't happening. <laughs> <laughs> 17 hours, you're dreaming, mate. Total duration, that ain't happening. 33rd, there's yeah. a chance. Yes. There's a chance, and least training is probably my highest chance. <laughs> one minute, 48 seconds for Ollie Clark this week. Nice work, Ollie. Good work logging <laughs> that one. <laughs> one minute. One minute 48. Ooh, a big week this week. Okay, what are we doing this week, John? We are doing Category 7, Total Duration. Total Duration. So with nine workouts last week, Chris Wallace took it out from the UK. 23 hours, 59 minutes and 
13 seconds. You could have done an extra 47 oh, seconds. Oh, yeah, Christ, mate. You could, have, you could have combined with Ollie Clark. Yeah. It would have yeah. been sweet. <laughs> uh, Jonathan Blake was second to 21 hours, 20, uh, 22 hours, 51 minutes. And Rob Gray was third with 17 hours, 44. Also, oh, Rob Gray, was, what did I say? Was Rob Gray in Queenstown? No, that was Rob um, Hill. Rob Hill, that's right. I did. I saw him on. Yep. Uh, Julia Raymond was f- uh, furthest female with 13 hours and three. Lynette Warren um, was second, 11 to 42. And Jennifer Moore was third with 10 hours, 15. All you need to do, guys, is go on to the page. Is have a sex change, and you might be able to make it on the girls' list. <laughs> okay, I'm doing it. <laughs> I'm committed. I'm like Caitlyn Jenner. I'm yeah. doing it. I'm in. I'm in. I really want to get on this list. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, John, questions and answers. So we're gonna, we were talking last week a little bit about what's going to happen with Ironman Los Cabos, and it looks like it's the last edition. Mark Three Gold just sent us through. Listen to the show, great job as usual. And you question whether Ironman Los Cabos would continue next year. I saw a little while back that they had been marketing this year it's the last edition. Their Facebook header, roughly translated, says, be part of the last edition of this competition in Los Cabos. And a start line video calls it the last edition. So I'm guessing that the Iron Man is finished. Not really surprised with giving the numbers. No idea if the 70.3 will continue. This is sad. You know, they've had 400 people racing, plus another 400 odd doing the, the, the half. I just think that's sad that we can't have races of that size. Everything's got to be thousands. It just, I don't know. I just find it a bit sad. I mean, well, back in the, it's the a good business, old days. It? it is a business, but back in the good old days, <laughs> yeah, in the, the 90s and probably. I don't know how far into the 2000s, but that would have been, you know, just a normal race. But do you think it's go 70.3? Well, they had a 70.3 and a full. So, like, I mean, like, how much money do they need to make? Like, I'd love to know, we're never going to know, but I'd love to know the numbers behind a race. Like, I'd be estimating if they've got less than 1,000, then they're going to be asking questions. But do you think they're losing money? Uh, I wouldn't have thought so. No. I mean, events cost a lot of money to put on. But I often need a lot of support by a local community as well. Depends how much you need to allocate to your general overheads. But I'd be saying, uh, I don't see how you could lose money on, you know, four hundred. You got four hundred thousand essential ballpark from uh, probably, probably got half a million there in prize and in, in, uh, entry fees. You're you're paying out pistol prize money now. R- traffic management, all those things that they're hugely expensive. Yeah, but I imagine a lot of times for the races they choose, they probably get local councils behind mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. So no, I would agree it might not necessarily be making heaps, but I, I can't fathom. If if you can't be putting on a race for half a million dollars, I think they probably haven't quite got the model right. Yeah, but maybe they say we need to make at least this and anything below it goes, goes away. So interesting stuff. Uh, John Patrons. Mark Fernando Abbey. Marion Cream the Moose Hearing. Creaming the Moose. I don't know how he came up with it. <laughs> Ma- Marion's... Uh, <laughs> Nickname is Moose, but I don't know how he came up with creaming the moose. And James Thunder Down Under Shizgiel. That's a pretty good effort on that name because his here's how it's spelt, guys. S Z C Z Y G I E L. What does Apple say? Let's see what Apple says. Apple says. Apple says. Shizgiel. Oh, yeah. yeah, you did pretty well. You're sharp, John. You're sharp, you're sharp, mate. You're sharp. Uh, so, sponsors. Athlinks.com. Social networking for endurance athletes. And extreme endurance. Your lactic buffer. And if you're patrons of the show, if you want to be a patron, just go to www.iamtalk.me. It's all pretty clear on the front page. And you can support us in what we're doing. So, if you ever go running with Bevan, don't stick to his pacing plan because you thought you were going to pace for a 124, 125. No, I, 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 and then he pulls out a 119. I'm, what? 
Well, What's going what, on? what happened was, I actually, I, okay, so going into the race, my hamstring, I hadn't been running for three weeks. I did two 30 minute runs, and both times I was like, oh, this is going to be a bit of a struggle. Mm-hmm. So, so be it. Got up in the morning, took some drugs, took mm-hmm. some, what's the one? Anti inflames. Took some anti inflames, and I did get it strapped. Mm-hmm. And my whole idea of the race is I need to at least do 124 because we've got to get to New York. So that was the plan. So started the race. Now the race starts downhill. There was four, nearly 4,000 competitors just in my age group. Your age group? Just in my age group. Yeah. Crikey. Yeah, so it's pretty, yeah. So so I started the run. The funny thing is when you're in front of a field, so I think there's like, I don't know, maybe 6,000 people and a half, but within it, you're, you're doing you kind of take off on your by yourself if you're the front of the <laughs> you don't feel part yeah. of a big group, do you? Yeah. You know, so basically Mike Phillips, Brett Tingey and a few of the guys who were well ahead of me, mm-hmm. Brett Tingey had a bloody good race. Mm-hmm. He had a great race. Mike Phillips got fourth, but um, they they kind of all took off and I was like, there's no way I'm staying with those guys. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of just started and I, I thought, I'm actually feeling okay at 345, between 345 and 350. So I kind of got, a, there was a bunch of about six guys just in front of me mm-hmm. That, but they were kind of closer to 340 and I was like, no, no, stick to my plan, yeah. stick to my plan. So they kind of took off and then about the first eight Ks, it was very up and down, mm-hmm. um, but I'm good at, I'm good in those terrains because I'm quite strong on my mm-hmm. ups and I've got a good downhill technique, so I kind of just worked that well. And then just kind of sat on 345 to 350s, felt, felt easy actually, felt mm-hmm. really easy. And got to 10Ks, still sitting at that pace and I just thought to myself, I'll stay at this and it – there was no stage the hamstring was playing up. Mm-hmm. But there was a couple of moments when I, when I went downhill really fast. There was a couple mm-hmm. of moments where I was like, that, that, that weight going into the hamstring was a little bit delicate, so I need to be a bit careful. But the, but the hamstring was feeling okay. So then I thought to myself, okay, we'll just sit at this pace to 16Ks and then try to push home. Mm-hmm. So just did that. And by this stage, I'd passed a few people. Did anybody explode around you? Like, no. Did you pass so, so really very much. I basically, after about 5Ks, there was about five guys. Mm-hmm. And I passed four of them. And then one guy, when we got to 10K, he just picked it up a little bit. And I was mm-hmm. like, I probably could have gone with him. But mm-hmm. I, was, like, I was still playing a pretty delicate card. So I just said, no, nope, just the three. And so he took off and I never saw him again. And then the, the second half of the race, with my competitors, there was nobody there. Yeah. So I didn't. I looked behind once, and there was a guy who was a little bit behind me, probably a minute behind me, and the guy who took off, I didn't see him. The downfall was, so I got to sixteen k's, and I was good, and I was like, okay, time to go. But I got into the ten k walkers. Ah, oh, right. Yeah, and it was a little bit frustrating because, like, I, I picked up my pace. I think I was a little bit faster in the last five k's, but I was hoping to get under closest maybe three forty thirty fives. But I was just yelling. It was a, a, it was a bit of distraction because mm. I'm literally every five seconds going, excuse me, excuse me, because they just mm. you're running on a trail. Mm. So, you know, people were just kind of – they don't they aware. No, no fault of their own. No, but they probably – the race could do a better job of maybe creating a divider or something. I'm not yeah. quite sure because it was a little bit frustrating because most of my attention was just yelling out at people. Yeah. And so my focus of being able to push hard kind of went away a little bit. So I finished in a way I was kind of happy, but I definitely could have dug deeper if I needed to. But I also didn't really have the carrot of the person in front of me. So came in 119, but I was perfect race. Good. You know, race really well, race really smart. Probably reflective of where I was with my training. Mm-hmm. I think if I had that last three weeks, I probably would have aimed for a 340-ish pace. Mm-hmm. But my average pace for the race was 345 exactly. So Nice. Yeah. And, I, and the thing was, I didn't know if I was competitive. I didn't, looking around me at the beginning of the race, I didn't know who was mm-hmm. my age. So Did I didn't actually get, know I won. Did you get a prize? 
yeah, I got a, a free car rental from Avis for a day. Did you? And uh, I got a $40 voucher at outdoor, outdoor sport. Okay. And I got six pack of beer, John. So Very nice. <laughs> pro athlete I is. Yeah. Um, but it was cool to win. Like, I haven't won a race in a long time. I haven't mm-hmm. raced in a long time. And it's quite nice because I'm not an athlete nowadays. And this year, I've been running a bit more than maybe what I have in the last few years. But I only really did six weeks of training for this. And so it's nice to think that I can still turn up to a race and be competitive. What are you going to run New York Marathon in then? Double it, 238. No, I wouldn't be able to do that. Jo, is Joe running the marathon as well? Yeah, 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 yeah. What's she going to do? Hey, what do you want to do for New York? What? What, like a goal for race time for New York for you? Enjoy. That she don't enjoy the time. Oh, well, you, she'd like to run under 330. I think for me in New York, under 250 is probably realistic. Mm-hmm. You know, New York's a slower course. You'll have people to run at under yeah, 250. Yeah, the and that's what's kind of, kind of nice. One thing, one thing that I was really proud of is... I'm a really good athlete nowadays. Like I know how to race a smart race. Mm-hmm. Like I, I couldn't have raced a better race. Maybe in that last little piece, yeah, I could have raced a little bit harder. But I gave myself the opportunity to, you know. Mm-hmm. Like I, and I'm just, you know, like little things. Like when I was a when I was a young athlete, I'd often think I'd won a race halfway through it, mm-hmm. and you know, just I'd let those emotions overtake me, and by no means like far out. You know, I'm not an elite athlete or anything like that. And but for where I am and the amount of time I put in my training nowadays. I know how to turn up on the day and race a race that gives me the best result I can get. And that was what I was most proudest of. And there's just a lot of things I've learned over the years. And the tools we have nowadays make it so much easier. Mm. But not to get caught up in emotion, not let other people's races influence me, just race my race. And so I was really proud of that. In some way it would be nice if... Uh, I know, it's yeah, right you could take what you had now. Ban power meters and ban GPS watches. Well, yeah, it would be interesting. I think... I. Th- I, I did try to stay with him feel as well because mm. there was one moment where I did go there was one moment early on in the race where the guys that pack in front of me I thought I should at least get to the back of them because I can get a little bit drafting off them mm-hmm. and I sped up for about 30 seconds to get to them and my heart rate went up and I think I just got, went to about 340 then and, and I got to the back of them and they were just running a little bit faster and I was like you know what let them go you know, and I did use my watch to make that choice. Now, maybe if I didn't have a watch, I wouldn't have made that choice. But at the end of the day, as an athlete, your job is to get to the finish line as fast as possible. Oh, use all the tools you got. Oh, I th- I you're think foolish not to. Having, I, I saw you post something about having your playlist, and I'm like, God, I hate people, races where you're allowed to have music, but that's within the rules, yeah. so you play by the rules. That's absolutely fine. But I think it would be quite fun, uh, and it would add such a different element to iron distance racing if you weren't allowed power meters or, pace, or watches. Uh, it just come down to a bit more feel, and I think that's one frustration I've got. I think we're getting away from that. Everything's becoming so yeah. dedicated now. You know, with running power meters, and people are saying to me, "Oh, what about this?" And I'm like, "You know, I think pace is probably just enough. I mean, it does give you some more information, but oh, well, I think the only time power meters are really good is when you've got rolling courses. Mm-hmm. You know, where pace is a little bit hard. If you're doing a race with a lot of hill in it, mm. the power meter is really valuable there. But um. It is interesting. Yeah, I think that ability to be able to race a race is something you always want to be developing. And, mm. you know, like for me, the whole idea was get to a point where I can push harder to the end. And, mm-hmm. you know, and and like I, if, if there was one thing I was, would have liked to have done better was that last little push. I, it was funny, John, I'm coming to the end because the 10K is the first, probably 3K with 10K. And then this cyclist comes up by me mm-hmm. and he's going in front of me and he's going, get out of the way. I'm thinking, oh, this is really nice. Yeah. And then I get out with a probably 500 metres to go and someone goes, the, the first chick's behind you. Oh, <laughs> and so he must have been a cyclist for the first chick. So you beat the first chick? Yeah, yeah, I did. Is that yeah. Fiona Crombie? No, she 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 said she didn't have the... She was, I don't think she's been running a lot. She got third, I think. Right. No, I was... So a, you didn't get checked. No, I didn't get <laughs> checked. And, and to be honest... 
I was about, I think I was about 20, 30 seconds in front of her, so it would, yeah. she would have been fine yeah. to catch me. But it's, a, it's seriously, if you get a chance to do the race, if she'd caught you going in the finishing sprint, what would you have done? Oh, no, I would have gone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I would have gone against anyone. Yeah. You know, the sprint, it's not just because it's a girl, but um, yeah, it's a busy race. You can't really sprint because all everyone's going at the finishing shoot. Right. You know, so you, I tried to kind of kick in, but but great race. Seriously, if you're in New Zealand, it's, it's a beautiful, you know, and we had a perfect day. Oh, yeah. It was absolutely beautiful. Um, so, yeah, it was good times. And I think there was a triathlete who won the other race. Um, the other. Oh, yeah, because they, yeah, had, they had two, two races. Half, Wait, yeah. you talk. Um, so, what about you? What have you been doing? Uh, so, this week we've got the Pack and Save Triathlon Festival. So, oh, it's yeah. all go. Got my study out of the way, which is fantastic. Uh, if you're a parent out there, Tell your kids to stay in bloody exams till the end. It just does my head in. What do you mean? People just leave. They, they, you know, they finish. They think they finish, and they just leave. And uh, you know, it's a two-hour exam. There are people leaving after an hour. I'm like, seriously, I've just about finished as well. But I'm going to spend the next hour checking everything oh. and adding little bullet point, adding little bits in. I Even just things like, another. have you read the question right? Yeah. You know, because often you don't read the question right, and then you go, oh no. So just tell your kids to stay in the bloody exam. Use the time until the end. And just How do you, okay, what, what mark do you think you got? Oh, I know what mark you got. I got 80%. 80% so oh, well good. done. Yeah. That's an A. It's an A. So I'm all done and dusted for the year, so that's good. Hey, you're a smart bugger, you are. Yeah, wow. James Parsons. Do you know James Parsons? I know the name. Because I got the new course, which mm-hmm. was a lot smaller in, in numbers, a lot harder, and he dominated. He won by 10 minutes. Nice. Overall. So, so. Tri Festival this weekend, and then it's uh, time to look forward to Christmas. Uh, who's going to win Tri Festival? We've got Mike Phillips racing, and we've got, got Dylan, fourth, Dylan McNeese racing as well. I don't know if Dylan's in much sort of shape, but uh, they need to give those young whippersnappers a good hiding. So Who, who's, the, who's the Kiwi up-and-comers? Who would you name? Uh, we've got, they've named the Commonwealth Games uh, team. We've got, was it Taylor Reid? I think he's a bit of an up-and-comer. What, One what, or two. What, what are your thoughts of the New Zealand Commonwealth Games team? So for those who don't know, in New Zealand, uh, who missed out? Tony Dodds. Tony Dodds, who's for the last few years been our kind of one or two in number two yep um, Has, hasn't done anything in the last period so it's like you haven't raced we're not picking you so, uh, so you're, you're actually quite comfortable with it yeah yeah if, if he, there's still a slot available I think so if he proves himself he can get in okay booked my tickets some tickets for the Commonwealth Games last night oh, holy shamoly tell me about it just booked some athletics tickets how much are they 100 bucks Australian each that's actually pretty good do you reckon for kids as well 400 bucks for night of athletics mm. Anyway, Maybe that's one kids. big one big thing we're gonna we're gonna go see. We went junk, Dunk and I went when we went to the Commonwealth Games in Melbourne. It was mm-hmm. an awesome night. Mm. Awesome. So it's gonna be good. Where is that in Gold Coast? Yep. See Tom Walsh doing the shot put. That's why we did it because we wanted to see. Blinder said, "Let's go that night, spend more money, and hopefully we hear the national anthem because we're probably not going to hear it anywhere else." Why do? Because one has gold when I was here, and I get to see the men's and women's hundred meters. Which at the Commonwealth Games, you still get some good athletes. You get like the um, Bahamas and Jamaicans and things like that. So you can see the hundy. And I think the the javelin and maybe the woman's ten thousand. So oh, that's good race. times. Nice. When do you, when are they? April next year. Jeepers creepers! How long are you going for? Eight days. Whatever events you going to do? Uh, cycling, tri- oh, f- free events, Bevan, <laughs> and the theme parks, and uh, and then we'll just the go theme parks will be heaving. Yeah, we'll go along to a couple other things as well. Good times. Have the kids been to Gold Coast before? No. Oh, Gold Coast is great for families. Mm. Great and the Commonwealth Games. You know, we've got Sean. That's it. He goes. He needs to go have a meeting. He's got a shirt on. <laughs> okay, let's do it. I'm Russ. I'm Indo. Train hard. Train smart. Kick hard.